Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hey all, some of you may have heard that Silvergate Bank, the leading bank for the crypto industry, is facing challenges after FTX's implosion. It's one of the most shorted stocks, has changed its chief risk officer, which is a role focused on fraud, and it's been releasing public statements weekly to try to quell the markets. In this episode, we heard from veteran short seller Mark Cojodes and crypto banking insider Ram Alawalia on why, for Mark, he believes that this is only the beginning of Silvergate's troubles, and why, for Ram, he believes Silvergate won't go down. It was an intense and fascinating discussion with great points by both sides. I think we'll have to see how events play out before we can see who was right. All right, now on to the show. Just a quick note before we begin. Unchained is doing its annual survey. Head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchained 2022 to tell us how you think we're doing and how we could improve, whether it be on the podcast, in the newsletter, or in our premium offering. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Again, the link is surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchained 2022. And you can also check the show notes for the link. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto seven years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the December 13th, 2022 episode of Unchained. Are you getting more questions than ever from your crypto-curious or skeptical friends? Send them my crypto explainer on TED at go.ted.com slash Laura Shin. DeFi Saver is an all-in-one management app with unique automation options for top lending protocols such as Aave, Maker, Liquity, and Compound. Check them out on Ethereum Mainnet, Arbitrum, and Optimism. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com slash unchained. Minima is a new layer one blockchain designed to run in full on a smartphone. Join over 300,000 Minima node runners on the incentive program today to start earning every month until mainnet launch. Get your node set up at minima.global. Buy, earn, and spend crypto on the crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first seven days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Today's topic is the financial situation at Silvergate Bank. Here to discuss are Mark Cojodes, individual investor and former hedge fund manager, and Ram Alawalia, CEO and co-founder at Lumida. Welcome, Mark and Ram. Thanks for having me, Laura. Silvergate Bank has been an important bank for the crypto industry, giving access to the traditional financial system to crypto companies, including exchanges such as Coinbase, hedge funds, venture capital firms, etc. It started off as a real estate bank back in the day, but began switching to crypto in 2016. And from 2020 to 2021, deposits at the bank quintupled from $2 billion to $10 billion. 
Its stock price also skyrocketed from $12 to $200 a share, but now it's trading at about $20 after the collapse of one of its clients, FTX. But before we dive into all the details on what's going on with Silvergate, why don't we have each of you give your backgrounds so the audience understands how your perspective here is relevant to the situation. Mark, why don't you go ahead and begin? So... I'm a 62-year-old fellow. I used to be in the hedge fund business. Um, I'm not, as I would say, retired. I'm still an investor, but most people know me as a <clears throat> short seller and market skeptic. I'm a Googleable guy. I've exposed significant frauds going back from the 80s till as recently as, I think, 2018, which is something called Mimetics where the CEO and COO went to jail. And you were calling hard. out FTX back in, yeah. what was it, September yeah, and I'm, October? I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm just getting, I'll get to FTX in a minute. Yes, for my background, but there have been some Harvard Business School cases written about me about exposing subprime mortgage fraud and, and various things. And I think I've put numerous people in prison, probably more than anyone on the on the planet from a forensic analysis standpoint. I started calling out FTX on Twitter back in May, and probably I'm the only one who who publicly went after them with a with a hatchet and axe, but was largely ignored. The mainstream media here did a horrifically bad job in in following through. So that's sort of a little bit about me, and I have a a very strong and negative point of view on Silvergate as it as it relates to their practices and how they go about doing their business. So that's just a little bit about me. I tend okay. to be um I tend to be vocal and I don't sort of give up till things have sort of cleared themselves through. So I'm just not a one of these people who say something and just drop it and move on. Which is great. Ron, what about you? Uh, thank you, Laura. First off, Mark, pleased to meet you. I've, I've tracked your research uh, going back to Novastar. And of course, you've made a killing this year in Carvana. Uh, in a former life, 10 years ago, I was an investor in Carisdale. I'm sure you know who they are. Uh, and I'm friendly with folks at Hindenburg. Uh, so you made a killing this year. You're having probably one of the best years you've ever had. I respect your analysis, although I do think you've overextended. We'll get, we'll get into that. But I, I appreciate the points and the contributions you've made, especially in calling out FTX well ahead of anyone else out there. On my background, briefly, banking and capital markets in a nutshell. So I grew up at banks as an executive at Bank of America as an operating executive and also at Merrill Lynch. I was at Merrill Lynch during the 2008 financial crisis, literally lived on Wall Street. I saw the limos pull up at Maiden Lane and take a limit under that weekend. So it's very up close for me. I was also shorting Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac due to, due to solvency issues. So I'm sympathetic to some of the arguments on uh, that one can make around solvency. More recently, I was the executive at Cross River, building the crypto business. Our clients included uh, Coinbase and other leading exchanges. And I co-founded Lumida, which is a digital asset advisory firm. And my colleagues come from Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, uh, and also include a bank regulatory attorney who is a CEO of a trust bank. Uh, in terms of regulation, I've done teach-ins at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. I, I co-wrote a an op-ed with SEC Chair Arthur Levitt, and I've uh, written comments and have been recognized by U.S. Treasury a few times. Also, the FDIC was a client of a prior company I started called PeerIQ. They issued a press release there. So 
I hope I'm Googleable, but all to say is that I'm credible on bank and regulatory matters. All right. So then let's have each of you maybe just explain, like I started to talk about, you know, what Silvergate is and why it's important to the crypto industry. But I don't know if there's anything either of you want to add on there. And then after that, we can kind of get into your views on it. Because, you know, from what I can tell so far, you know, Mark is bearish, as uh, he indicated, and Ram, you're, I think, more bullish. So maybe just each of you explain like why you think it's even important to discuss this at all, why crypto people should know about it, and then we can go into the arguments. Well, Silvergate sort of stuck out to me because the guy who runs it, Alan Lane, I think is beyond incompetent. He brags about doing due diligence, brags about all his processes, brags about everything that he does right, but he had SBF as his spokesperson on the website till SBF had trouble. And then SBF, everyone knows of his issues. He then switched to having someone from Bittrex be his spokesman. And Bittrex is probably almost as big a scam as FTX is. So, you know, once you can call it an accident to you know, you're you're sort of guilty of, in my mind, sleeping at the switch. And when called out about Bittrex, Silvergate took this thing down. And when you look at the employees at Silvergate, there's no one who has what I would call pedigree who can actually pull this off. There's no one there like Rom, who's an experienced soul. The Alan Lane's son-in-law used to be the head of risk and was replaced in early November. And from former employees I've talked to, there's numerous family members there in key positions, one more incompetent than the next. So really, Silvergate was a sleepy, regional, small bank in La Jolla, about $40 in assets, and they were talked into banking for crypto. And from what I can gather, again, through some of the stuff I've done and talking to some people who used to work there and some people who compete with them, their systems are inadequate. Uh, The people there don't know their ass from first base. They got in huge trouble with FTX. Their trouble has just begun. They're going to have issues with Bittrex. They've had issues with other exchanges, which they're not disclosing. And I think the regulators have been woefully behind uh, in terms of looking at things. And when they catch up, I think they're going to dig deep here. They're going to look at the trillion dollars that this SEND network has passed through. And trillion dollars is a lot of money. And I think they're woefully deficient in KYC and AML practices. And their book value is vastly overstated. They have probably $500 million of assets that they admit are over overvalued. And when they run that through the income statement and book value, book value goes from 35 to 20. So I think the bank is going to be in runoff. I think they're going to be in court from this FTX matter from now till when my grandkids are my age. And I think there's nothing there. I think it was a, it was an idea that was good at the time. I think it got out of control. I think it grew way too fast. And now with FTX and others hitting the wall, I think Silvergate's deposits are going to go from 
think they peaked at 15 billion, 13 billion, somewhere in there. I think they're going to go back down to where they started. And, and real guys are going to come in and do this business rather than them. I think SBN, SBNY said last week they want to sort of get out of the business or cut it way back. And they know what they're doing. I mean, their controls are superior to Silvergate's. From a stock standpoint, you don't have to short it. I'm short the stock. You don't have to short it. But if you own the stock, I think you need your head looked at, at least from now till six months from now to where the smoke clears or the bank has issues. So we'll see. And Ram, I know that you have a different position. What's your view? Sure. Well, I won't react to to Mark's comments. I'm sure we can get that into Q&A and really focus on those different topics and and cycle through them. But I'll start by just framing up Silvergate, and then I'll cycle through how a regulator would look at Silvergate in terms of capital, asset quality, management, earning, liquidity, sensitivity to market risk factors. And my conclusion from all of that is that at least as of September 30th, regulators did view Silvergate in good standing. And of course, there are some bumps in the road related to FTX, and we'll come back to that. But first off, Silvergate. So they're they're the leading crypto bank. Uh, exchanges, hedge funds, and asset managers have an account there so that Silvergate can enable book transfers 24-7. And Silvergate plays a vital, essential role to enable the movement of money, including stable coins. And Mark alluded to this in terms of the velocity of payments owing to the nature of their business model on the platform. It's important to say a few clarity, few points of clarity here. One is Silvergate does not hold any crypto on its balance sheet. And that's first off, that's illegal. Silvergate cannot hold any crypto on its balance sheet. Silvergate holds deposits and their deposits are concentrated around these crypto companies. Also, the loans Silvergate has to crypto firms are over collateralized 2.5x. And that SEND leverage program has experienced 0% in credit losses since inception through December 9th, which I believe was this past Friday. So let me just cycle through a couple of the the key areas here. One is around uh, the overall company. I would say that Silvergate maintains a high quality, high earning asset base consisting primarily of uh, government backed, mortgage backed securities, treasuries, cash. And they also have a diversified funding base, although it's true that's come under pressure in recent months. On the credit assessment, Silvergate's assets, again, they're high credit quality, they're mostly liquid, and they have very low duration risk due to the floating rate nature or Silvergate's usage of derivatives. Uh, Silvergate has about $15.5 billion in assets. Uh, and again, uh, crypto lending exposure is less than 2%, and, and that's already over collateralized. Zooming into the asset side of the balance sheet, they have almost $2 billion in cash. As of September 30th, they have $1.3 billion in U.S. treasuries. They've got $6.5 billion in U.S. agency-sponsored debt. They also have $3 billion in muni bonds. So zooming out, they're taking credit risk on the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which I have confidence you know, will, will pay. On the liquidity side, we've done a stress test analysis. Crypto deposits would have to decline something like 93% in order for there to be a real issue. And the reason why is Silvergate has access to multiple sources of funding. They can pledge eligible collateral to the FHLB, the federal home loan banks. They can pledge to the Federal Reserve. 
Also, they can sell those liquid marketable securities we talked about into the open market and not incur an impairment. Finally, they can issue certificates of deposit, which they've done in recent weeks to address any issues around customers withdrawing. Uh, I'll conclude more on the earnings side. So Silvergate has net income of 100 million plus in the first nine months of this year. It's a 77% growth rate, reflecting the growth rate in the category. Of course, we'd expect those earnings to come down and growth rate to slow as their funding costs improve. But they have a significant amount of fee income. They have net interest income, and that net interest income is on is on good credit risk. So um, I'll pause there. Okay. Well, I think because we didn't fully get into the FTX thing, but that's probably what most people are wondering about. This is kind of, at least for me, like one of the biggest questions. So obviously at this moment, and granted, like new facts are coming out pretty much every day, but it looks like customer funds at FTX were inappropriately, you know, against the terms of service on the platform sent to the trading shop Alameda. And Mark called this out when he was talking about what his views are on Silvergate. Like, I guess I was kind of wondering, so Mark, are are you saying that when you're looking at the, or or when you have concerns about its KYC AML, are you saying that somehow deficiencies in the KYC AML process at Silvergate either allowed that or like somehow enabled the transfer of those funds or or are those unrelated? Mm. Okay, that's that's a good question. First, I want to just take a few things that Ram said. I mean, when Ram says as of nine thirty, you know, that's like saying the Titanic was a great ship till it sank. <laughs> nine thirty doesn't mean jack shit here because there was a catastrophic event in early November, and the and the business Silvergate's business has absolutely imploded since nine thirty. So nine thirty doesn't matter. And when Ram says asset quality. Silvergate has a $1 billion impairment, some of which they've yet to run through the balance sheet, holding these mortgages, governments, and things like that. They're they're $1 billion in the hole. A lot of this, they've yet to run through book value or the income statement. When they run this through the income statement, the losses here are going to be catastrophic. So it doesn't matter what, what anyone thought of Silvergate as of 930. Right now, we're at 1230. 12, 11, and, and, and the bank is an absolute mess. They're having to put out press releases every 10 days. They're putting out updates every seven days. They're going on the Cartoon Network, which I call CNBC, to sing for their supper. The CEO has had his son-in-law as the head of risk of the bank till November 7th, his son-in-law. And he has numerous family members as employees. So this bank let me make it real clear, is completely out of control and is an absolute shit show. They do business with people who they do not, do not run through proper AML and KYC protocol. And the sheer amount of money that send transfers, a trillion dollars. Just think of that, everybody. Think of running a trillion dollars through a a network that runs 24-7, 365, off an asset base that is well below probably $7 billion as I I speak. So that is before we'll address this Alameda thing. Quick responses. Uh, Just, Laura, I just want to address a few things. So one, and of course, Mark knows this, 
Silvergate does have a $500 million recognition of losses against um, certain assets on the balance sheet. Mark is saying that there's another $500 million to go. I'd love to see the documentation, the evidence of that. We can follow up on that later. I don't want to derail the interview, but that's one. They also have $1.3 billion in stockholder equity. Of course, they are well capitalized and meet their current regulatory reporting requirements. The intra-quarter updates is what Mark's referring to as press releases. It's true. Banks are on a quarterly reporting cycle and Silvergate is going to the market and providing updated disclosures. We'll get another quarterly report likely in January, but they are updating disclosures. The last thing I'll say on this is that Silvergate is handicapped. For example, it's illegal for a bank to report on suspicious activity of one of their clients. That's called a SAR or suspicious activity report. You're not even going to disclose to the client that you filed a suspicious activity report. It's shared with the regulator. So there are some constraints around what Silvergate can say publicly. So, you know, there needs to be someone else like me that can do the analysis, take it in a clinical independent view on the matter. But but if, in fact, they were filing suspicious claim reports on Alameda or FTX, why would they have SBF as their spokesman? I mean, it, you, it makes no sense. And it's the same thing with these Bittrex clowns. They're using them as spokesmen till they're called out for doing illegal things, and then they pull them down. And this is short sellers calling them out, not not, average, not regular souls like yourself. You You had no clue what these guys were up to. You guys have no clue what was going on there. It took the skeptics unearthing this thing and calling these guys out. And when you run a business reacting to short sellers, bringing up facts about your business, you're, you are destined to fail. Destined I, to fail. Think, and, and, if, and if you look at the balance sheet, if, and, I, and I can't, you know, I'm not at a computer. I, otherwise, I'd call it up. Look for securities held to maturity and securities available for sale. And given the stress that they're under, they're going to have to sell the securities held to maturity. And you said they could use that for liquidity. So they have roughly half a billion dollars of securities held to maturity that they've yet to run through the PL or the balance sheet. And when you do that, book value goes from goes from 1.3 to about 800 million. So so everyone thinking that it's cheap based on book value, and you should know better, Rom, book value for banks don't matter. Because Novastar, when the stock was three, folks, wrote off $77 a share in book value. So don't so book value on banks, especially distressed banks, don't matter. Lehman Brothers book value didn't matter right. when it went under. Same thing with Bear Stearns. So so don't don't worry about book value of a distressed situation. And for, for a bank, which was a sleepy bank doing $40 million of deposits with regional mortgages, all of a sudden going to crypto, where your son-in-law is the head of risk, that just doesn't cut it. That just doesn't cut it. Ram, if you're running a bank, I don't think you're going to have your son-in-law be the head of risk. I just don't. It's just yeah, a huge so black there, eye. There are, few, there are a few things, but I'm, uh, I'm going to focus. Clearly, they're investing in their board and they're improving the management. They have a new risk person and a, and a, and a CRO. Rom, the horse has left the barn. The new risk person is as of November 7th, right? As of November 7th. They have Elizabeth Warren up their ass. They have a bipartisan who's also signed off with Kennedy up their ass with questions they're not going to be able to answer. 
I disagree with that. Look, I, there's a lot of topics to unpack here. I'm trying to, you know, bob and weave through the like the uh, the five attacks here on Silvergate, and I'm happy to address them all in yeah, turn. But, but let's add but, some structure and discipline. Yeah, to let, the, let's the be. Yeah, let's let's be a little more structured because one one thing that I did want to ask about earlier when we were talking about their KYC AML program is Mark when you were saying like that they probably facilitated a lot of I, I don't know fraudulent transfers or something like that. I was curious, like for a client, you know, if they have a crypto exchange that is initiating the transfer of that money or, you know, a customer on that exchange, then who is kind of the ultimate stop here when it comes to regulators? Is it the compliance team at the exchange or is it the compliance team at the bank? Are they equally liable or how does that work? Both. both. Oh. But the compliance team at the exchange, you know, in terms of FTX and Alameda, are completely crooked. I mean, if anyone doesn't think that that's a criminal operation at FTX, something's terribly wrong with you. So FTX had no compliance. Alameda had no compliance. The chief regulatory officer at FTX was a poker, a poker criminal, Right, was a guy who cheated people in cards. He was the chief regulatory. So assume there was no compliance at FTX and no compliance at Alameda. And it's come out that, that they commingled customer deposits as well. So at a minimum, when forensically everything gets unwound, someone is going to have their head so far up Silvergate's ass, they're not going to be able to see. And every transaction will be scrutinized. Every transfer at the end of the day is going to get scrutinized here. So obviously, I mean, there's like 5 million investigations of FTX and Alameda. So regulators are clearly looking at that. But will regulators also probably enforce something on Silvergate? Like that's kind of what I'm asking. Let me first describe the KYC program and then we can, it'll just create more structure for this. So let me educate the the audience here. So, you know, Silvergate has to have a BSA AML program in accordance with the U.S. Patriot Act and Bank Secrecy Act. So there's initial and then ongoing. Initial mean that there's a KYC and AML program, also, also known as a SIP program, a customer identification program. And they'll have a various sets of activities, including negative news screening, and they will subject their clients to what's called enhanced due diligence, particularly because in the crypto sector, they will take extra efforts above and beyond a bank opening up a non-crypto account because of the nature and the uh, potential for higher propensity of illicit activity. Then there's ongoing activity. So what the compliance team will do is they'll look at the nature of the customer's activities and they'll say, if there's a change in behavior, just a change in behavior, then they, per their policy and procedures, uh, should issue a suspicious activity report, certainly notify their compliance team. That suspicious activity report you know, would go to the regulator. And that's the standard framework for a BSA AML compliant program. Now, the question is, were they in good standing? First of all, that's one way to look at it. Did the regulator view on Silvergate change? I can say that they must have been in good standing. Here's why. First off, they bought DM, which was a stablecoin issued uh, or intended to be issued by Facebook. That requires regulatory approval. Regulators have to approve an M&A transaction. They would not approve that if they thought Silvergate's equity was at risk or that that business activity would be untoward in some way. Second, Silvergate has no public consent order and they're permitted to grow their business. They've not been directed to curtail the activity. Lastly, on the regulators, regulator, the FDIC has issued a non-objection requirement, meaning if you're a bank that you want to be active in crypto, you have to seek non-objection for the regulator. 
crypt, uh, Silvergate is active in crypto, which the inference is that they've obtained regulatory approval. And the regulators want to keep crypto activity within banks that they deem have the appropriate systems and controls. They don't want to spill this out to other banks. They want to keep scrutiny high. I agree with Mark that these transactions will be scrutinized. And the scrutiny will be around, did Silvergate faithfully apply and adhere to the stated policies and procedures in accordance with law, one? And two, were those policies and procedures of sufficient stringency? That's really the analysis the regulators will do on these transactions. Your your points are good, but the problem is they're as of or before 9.30 and the Titanic sank in November that the regulators nor no one saw coming. That's the problem. The problem is the analysis of this company is through the front window, the front windshield, rather than the rearview mirror. And everything you talk about is rearview looking. Yeah, in the past, prior to 9.30, they were in accordance. I'd love, I cannot wait to see what they're going to report come 1231. I can't wait to see what those 1231 numbers are. And everyone is going to be beyond surprised of the regulatory scrutiny that's going to come down on these guys. That I can promise you. Mark, can I ask you a question? Do you you believe there was any willful neglect at Silvergate? Or do you believe it was the systems and controls issues, a failure to apply procedures or insufficient procedures? I'm trying to just distinguish between willful... When the final chapter is written, Alan Lane's going to say he was deceived as well. He's, he's going to pull the benign the benign neglect. What's your view? Do you think that Silvergate was complicit somehow and engaged in willful? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think they were. Okay. Compl- I don't think they were complicit. Okay, so it's a controls time. issue. It's a systems and controls policy procedure. Yeah, I think. I think. I, I, I think. I think these guys were operating on 1990 technology, 1990 procedures. I think it's a publicly traded company that was run by a family-owned bank. And I think these crypto exchange swindlers, criminals, took advantage of them essentially being like a drug mule. I think they found a sleepy bank that wanted to be become a big-time player, that, that thought it was going to be simple, that grew like crazy, that had zero controls. They weren't in on it. I don't think they were in on it. Now, I think a couple directors are sideways, and I think a couple directors are going to have problems. And I mean, just just think about it. Why would you have SBF as your spokesperson? And then after SBF, you go to another guy who has similar issues. And when it's brought up by short sellers, you decide to take that down. Now, the regulators are being handed everything I've talked about, which is about 5% of what I really know, and more. So they're getting... I'm sure folks express regret. I'm sure Tom Brady has regret around SBF. This guy went from hero to villain. And to your credit, I think you were the first to identify. So I I give you all the credit in the world. Look, SBF is a fraud. It's a multi-layer fraud of that I have no doubt. And it's, it's through and through. We're in full alignment around that. So what you're saying is, hey, look, it's a people controls issue. And I mean, that's a good that's a good branch of the tree because willful violations of the law have serious consequences. Now, if it is not a willful violation, then it's a people controls issue. So what regulators can do is say, hey, you've got to level up your management team. They can mandate changes at the executive level. And what I'm seeing are changes at the management level and changes at the board level. We don't know if that's voluntary from the board or both. 
but we are seeing that. So my, my take, Mark, is this, is that if there are people and control issues, we, sh- we should see a consent order. We should see a curtailment activity, but we're not going to see a some kind of catastrophic claim on the bank from the regulators. The regulators need points of control that they can govern uh, oversight. And that today is Silvergate because Silvergate is the leading crypto bank. They don't want those transactions to go anywhere else. What's going to happen, I think, that if I'm going to write the final chapter, the government is not going to want the transactions to go anywhere offshore. So this stuff is going to be curtailed and ended. The on and off ramps, in my mind, are going to get blown up, just completely blown up from as people know them today. And new laws are going to be put in where people are going to have to comply. But the problem is, it's not going to be the FDIC OIG per se, which shuts them down. Their their business will be curtailed significantly. So the company will have zero earning power. Because if you're borrowing at CD rates, I mean, the, the joke of the matter is Silvergate's deposits pay zero interest. They don't pay interest on their deposits. So the fact that they're going to have to pay 450 on CDs to get liquidity, the bank's never going to earn a dime again or well, that, very that, little. Right. More. So I, I agree. Short term, there's an earnings impact. Look, I, again, I was at Cross River and during PPP, we need liquidity to fund the working capital of these loans. We took out a CD at a very high rate. Then that CD rolled off and we started making a lot of money again. So Silvergate is taking the appropriate action, which is to issue a CD, which creates term funding for them. I agree as a near term impact to earning. However, the present value, the intrinsic value of a security is not based on next year's earning. As you know, it's based on the overall long duration of, of cash flows. But I think, I think we're focusing on the key elements. It's around what's the regulatory response? What's the probability and severity of the regulatory response? And then what I think you're going to get, Laura, in the not too distant future, I think Alan Lane, the CEO, is either going to resign or put on leave for an internal investigation to begin to figure out why these guys were so sleeping at the switch in who they were doing business with. I think Ram and I agree. These guys, they weren't willfully involved. They weren't willfully in on it per se. But what's worse, being willfully in on it or being sleeping at the switch if you're a bank? I love this back and forth, but I, I I feel like we need to also discuss certain core issues that I just want to make sure we address and that the audience understands. But before we do that, why don't we take a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible? DeFi Saver is an all-in-one management app for the top lending protocols on Ethereum, including Aave, Maker, Liquity, and Compound. They have dedicated protocol dashboards with options for quick leverage adjustment and self-liquidation as well as automated liquidation protection options with stop loss, trailing stop, and automated unwinding options. They also have loan shifting tools for collateral and debt swaps and instantly moving positions between different protocols. You can try DeFi Saver today on Ethereum, Arbitrum, and Optimism. What's the most important thing about crypto? It's not transactions per second, it's not convenience, and it's not even smart contracts. It's decentralization to achieve censorship resistance so we can all be free. Minima is a new layer one blockchain designed to run in full on a smartphone so that anyone can participate in building Minima's decentralized network as an equal. Join over 300,000 Minima node runners on the incentive program today to start earning every day until mainnet launch. Get started at Minima.global. 
Join over 50 million people using Crypto.com, one of the easiest places to buy, earn, and spend over 250 cryptocurrencies. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first seven days. With Crypto.com Earn, get industry-leading interest rates of up to 14.5% on over 30 coins, including Bitcoin. Earn up to 8.5% on stablecoins. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere. Enjoy up to 5% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com slash unchained. Back to my conversation with Mark and Rom. So I did ask this earlier, we didn't really address it, but I'm curious, you know, for that core issue of FTX having transferred customer funds over to Alameda, is that going to be something that the regulators will view Silvergate as having some responsibility for or or no? A hundred percent. And they're going to go through every single transaction and say, why, why did this happen? And why did you let it go through? But we wait, I have a question because... Because isn't at least, I would imagine the vast majority of that money is crypto assets, which Silvergate wouldn't have visibility into, except for the, I mean, the other part of it, though, is when Sam said that, you know, FTX didn't have a bank account for a while. And during that period, customers were sending funds straight to Alameda. So maybe that's the issue. Those are USD transfers because Silvergate, by law, cannot have crypto on its balance. It can custody crypto, and it does that through its agent, Silvergate. Look, this is a matter of law. This I can be very clear on. What the regulators will look at is this. One, did Silvergate have an effective Bank Secrecy Act, any money laundering, e.g. BSA ML program? One, did they have an effective policy and procedure framework? Second, did they apply it? If they did those two things, if it was effective and they applied it, you still have bad actors in the banking system. Right, but, wait, but Ron, how, would efforts. any would yeah. any of that have any bearing on on that issue of the FTX customer funds being it does. sent? It, it does because if if you had a a transaction with Alameda, let's say, which is your point, or, or FTX, and FTX is a bad actor, so long as the BSA ML program was effective, meaning it, it was robust, it was stringent, and they were carrying out what they said they're supposed to be doing, then the severity, if any, of an enforcement should be light. If the program was ineffective and they did not have oversight and they were not looking at trying, if they were not engaged in filing SARS, if they were not looking at suspicious activity, if they're not if they weren't tying out the sender state information, then then Mark has a point around potential enforcement actions. And we don't know that to be honest. We need to see evidence of that. I've not seen any evidence of that. I think I think to your point, Laura, the amount that was going from Alameda through FTX, through Silvergate, back and forth, the numbers are so large, they are going to get scrutinized because the the regulators were completely sleeping at the switch along with Alan Lang. I mean, this is is a a sign of why the son-in-law was removed for the head of risk. They realized they had a problem 
and they said, let's get, we have to make a change on November 7th. It's all after, you know, the, the horse is, is out of the, the barn. But the problem for Silvergate is it's not only FTX. It's this Bitrex, and, I, and I've identified, but have yet to come public with it, at least three more. So I think that, that when you find, you know, one, you can say bad luck. Two, it's no longer bad luck or a coincidence. Three becomes a trend. In more than three, you have a major problem. And I'm here to say these guys have a major, a major fucking problem. Major okay. problem. So one thing that I just want to understand is for the um, situation with FTX and Alameda, when FTX transferred the customer funds to Alameda, that's against their terms of FTX's own terms of service. So that's kind of what that violation was. So I just want to understand, because like we're we're talking about the um, AML and KYC program at Silvergate, but is that kind of situation where like the violation is against the terms of service with would the AML KYC processes have any relevance with that? Do you understand how in yeah, my I, mind they I, seem? I understand what you're saying. I'll simply say if there was no SEND network, if there was no SEND network, there would be no FTX or Alameda. They wouldn't exist. Okay. The, the, the crimes at Alameda and FTX would not have existed had Silvergate not been in this business. So the problem is going to be if you're a depositor to FTX, right, and your money is gone, as part of all the lawsuits, Silvergate is going to be a defendant as sure as I'm sitting here. Because yeah. Silvergate Silvergate was and were and are the pipes where this stuff goes through. It's not going to be a term of service thing. Your money is gone. Your, your, your money is gone. It's stolen. It's gone. You'll never get it back. Or you may get cents on the dollar back. Okay. But, but, yeah. but in, in things like this, the lawyers or your class action lawyer and other lawyers are going to go after everyone where that money could have gone through, touched, or appeared. I mean, look at all the Madoff stuff. I mean, J.P. Morgan, I think, paid $2.5 billion dollars in the Madoff thing, and they didn't even touch the money. Okay, so I just want to break it out for for the audience because, so as we identified, there's at least some portion of that money that's going to be crypto assets that um, Silvergate probably didn't have any visibility into because that was just, you know, um, Mm -hmm. FTX and Alameda sending that, you know, on on blockchain networks. And I don't remember if we described what SEN is for people, but I'll just quickly do that for to make sure the whole the audience fully understands it's the Silvergate Exchange Network. And that gave clients the ability to move dollars between each other pretty much instantaneously to settle the fiat side of any of their crypto transactions basically immediately, which obviously for anybody who's navigated that difference between like bank time and crypto time. Bank time often can be, you know, like days or whatever uh, versus crypto time, which is seconds or minutes. So obviously that's, you know, a huge advantage. That network also enabled customers to deposit money from a bank onto a crypto exchange as long as both the customer and the exchange banked with Silvergate and to to move that money immediately. So so Mark, just to understand when you say that um, FTX and Alameda would not have been able to do this without SEN, that's for the fiat portion of you know whatever funds that moved. So are you yeah. talking about how Sam Bankman-Fried said that initially customers were wiring 
or FTX customers were wiring money directly to Alameda. Is that where they're culpable? SBF has said, and I've put it on my Twitter and I can send a copy to you. He said, prior to the Silvergate network, this couldn't have happened. You know, there was no, banks wouldn't touch them. Banks would not touch them as it was. That's why they had to call it Alameda Research. And they said before Silvergate existed, these crypto exchanges couldn't have couldn't have happened. I mean, just just flat out. And and Alan Lane foolishly used SBF as a sponsor. And foolishly, he uses his Bitrex guy. That's not a, a it's sponsor. not a crime. It's not a crime. So I, uh, yeah, it's foolish. I'm sure they have hindsight 2020, but I'm I'm trying to focus on claims to stockholder equity. It's yeah, I'm sure they regret that, but we should move off the whole getting the bad sp- spokesperson. I don't think it. I don't think it advances the conversation. Well, it's 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 gonna it's gonna turn out to be a big deal as it relates to those suspicious reports that you talked that you talked about. Because I don't think you're filing suspicious reports against someone's entity and still going to have that person as a spokesman. And if they didn't file suspicious reports on Alameda or FTX or Bitrex or these other criminals who they do business. I mean, they do business. Silvergate, make no mistake, and I think you'll admit this, criminals use the SEND network. Do you, do you disagree with that? I, I I believe criminals will seek to utilize crypto exchanges to attempt to launder. I'm, that's that's, 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 not, that's not what I'm saying. I have no evidence, I'm getting, Mark. I, 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 think, I, think, I, think it's, I don't think it's relevant, Mark. I think the question is, do they have an effective DSA ML program? Was it applied or not? That's what the regulators will look at. That's on the regulatory standpoint, and I think they'll be guilty of that. But on the court of law standpoint, court of public opinion standpoint, if you were someone who lost money in FTX or Alameda and you're covered in these multi, multi, multi billion dollar suits, I know at your core you you realize the heat that's gonna right, come two, at Silvergate. So the two two points that Mark is raising here, which are which are novel, haven't introduced yet. One is hey, lawsuits. So the case with JP Morgan you, you raise, it's a great point. You say, look, they got a $1.7 billion fine on January 17th, 2014, because despite their asset manager saying that Madoff wasn't suitable for investment and they suspected fraud, they enable funding to take place. So that's Mark's uh, one of his observations. I'm saying it's not relevant. Here's why. JP Morgan is an asset manager. They have a duty of care. They were acting in a very different capacity than Silvergate, which is providing money transmission service between institutions uh, where their system of controls related to KYC and AML. So it's a different framework than not fiduciaries. Further, in order to file a claim of suit against Silvergate, you got to have standing. If you're a client of FTX and you lost money, yes, you can file a frivolous lawsuit against Silvergate, but there's no standing or legal basis for that claim to go anywhere. In fact, I've studied the two class actions out there that were issued they don't even have a plaintiff yet. And the complaint cites this Twitter thread from an anonymous person and an allegation, which isn't evidence. And it's a house of cards built on this one Twitter thread, including the Elizabeth Warren letter, which references that. I'm sure we'll come back to that, but there's no evidence nor standing for plaintiffs to seek remedy from Silvergate. But okay, so I want to ask about this because, um, and I'm not, I'm not sure that this is the class action lawsuit that you're referencing, but I'm just going to quote the the portion uh, that I think is interesting. So this complaint alleges that Silvergate was complicit in and responsible for some of these fraudulent losses 
through the bank's violation of KYC and AML obligations and knowingly or negligently permitted FTX to direct customer deposits to Alameda Research, which, you know, is this hedge fund that is not supposed to be related to FTX. So I was wondering, is it Silvergate's responsibility to have recognized that those transactions shouldn't have happened, that FTX customers should not have been wiring money into Alameda? Because it seems, you know, somebody, uh, whether at FTX or Alameda or somewhere, should have recognized this should not be happening. Laura, it's I mean, but could it be question, someone right? at Silvergate that should have recognized that? It's a different question. I'll just again, I'm going from the regulatory perspective and the law perspective. Again, as an operator, I had to know the law, right? So the regulator will say, Silvergate, did you apply your BSA ML program? Did you monitor for suspicious activity? If you saw activity, did you report it? And did you investigate further? The regulator will ask, did Silvergate have a reasonable basis in enabling those transactions? If they had a reasonable basis and they complied and they did whatever investigations they did, they did, then Silvergate has low risk. If, however, Silvergate did not apply their procedures, that's negligence. Or if they saw something suspicious and they didn't report it, that's an issue. So that's really where this debate turns on. And I haven't seen evidence of negligence. What I've seen is evidence that they're in good standing. And that's why the regulars let them grow their business. That's why they're able to acquire the DM stablecoin. But but why as, isn't as, that negligence? As, you know, this is all prior to 930. I mean, 930 doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, I, the, 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 I, I mean, like your 930 you, point, Mark. I, I, I like your 930 point. I'll, I'll, and look, I agree the regulators are examining. Let me just want one other kind of story to make this very clear. The FDIC examination teams, they have the rights to inspect all sorts of data, look at anything they want, any policy procedure, email correspondence. It's not easy being a bank. They were scrutinized well before 930 is my point. They were, of course, on site or virtually on teams looking at data. And Michael Sue, the acting comptroller of the currency, which is the most senior official of the bank regulators, again, he issued a requirement requiring non-objection from from the primary regulator. So what, I, what I'm saying, Mark, is I, I agree your point 930, can't wait to year end. And we are speculating here, yeah. but the regulators are already all over this because they already have a heightened sensitivity to the risk of illicit activity on cryptocurrency transactions. So they're, they're focusing on BSAML. They're looking at those transaction documents. They're looking at the back and forth of the client. They're looking at the SIP program and the, and the raw data even before 930 at a granular level. But wait, and Ram, why is it that you said that um, they wouldn't, the regulators wouldn't deem, you know, Silvergate allowing FTX customers to wire Alameda funds so, to Alameda as so negligence? They're not, why they're not regulated as an asset manager? An asset manager is a fiduciary; they have a duty of care to LPs. And J.P. Morgan said, "We think this is a fraud." Apparently, this is my understanding of the story. And yet, they let a wire go into an actor that they perceived as fraudulent. Silvergate's regulated as a bank. It has to comply with, of course, law. And the relevant laws are what we've described, the BSA AML program, reporting of suspicious activity, money transmission law. They're not a fiduciary to LP. So A16Z cannot sue Silvergate or have standing because they lost money in FTX because FTX was a fraud. That would be the JP Morgan analogy. If JP Morgan said FTX is a fraud, and J.P. Morgan processed the wire for A16Z, you could argue they had standing, but Silvergate's not an asset manager. They don't have that duty of care as it relates to investment management. Laura, Laura, if it turns out that Silvergate was negligent in any of the things Rom talked about, 
you know, it's essentially over for the bank because that opens the doors for all the lawsuits because suspicious activity reports weren't filed and they didn't do anything to stop it. And he was well aware of the SBF promote of saying how easy it was to do business with Silvergate and no one else, no one else other than Silvergate would have banked them. How do you know they weren't filed? How do you know they weren't filed, Mark? They're confidential and private, the SARS. Because if they were filed, right, if I was filing suspicious activity reports on you, I'm not a Harvard or a Yale guy or anything like that. You're saying you would take the name off the site. That's the basic idea. For sure. And now the other part is, again, we don't, the fact that FTX is a fraud, which I'm in complete agreement with you, that guy got to go to jail. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's, 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 no, it's not only a fraud; it's a criminal operation. And the and the que- and the question is the, the the real question where I think it's going to turn is what role did Dan Freeberg have in all of this, along with SBF? Right. I, I'd love to get there too, Mark. And you know, I'll say this: like the fraud at FTX, among others, self dealing, all the rest was misuse of customer funds. But that activity takes outside Silvergate and the Cent Network. It takes place at FTX, between FTX and Alameda. Meaning the mere fact that FTX is a fraud is not indicative that there would be transactional data that and, was fraudulent. And, and, and criminals use the Cent Network to trans to transfer up to a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars. It's just of, they, they facilitate the movement of stable coins. I'm, 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 it, 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 does, it, it will not matter at all. We're not talking about J.P. Morgan, and we're not talking about a too-big-to-fail bank. We're talking about a bail, a bank run by an absolute clown. Alan Lane is a clown. He, is he at best, at best, is a C-minus manager who is foolish enough, foolish enough when he's on the Cartoon Network to put religious motif in the background and have his son. I mean, come on, Rom. Would you have your son-in-law as the head of risk of any institution you would run? I, I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not under public scrutiny, but I will say R- this. R- um, Rom, answer, yeah. answer the Mark, question. Mark I'll, answer the, Mark, I'll answer the question. I'll say, look, the vast majority of small community banks, which is how Silvergate started as Community Bank San Diego, you know, the primary predictor of whether a bank uh, gets acquired is if the CEO retires, because usually they hand it to their son, their right. family intergenerational businesses. But you're right. It was a sleepy bank that grew up it benefited from the tremendous growth in crypto. I acknowledge that that was a driver of their growth. And the only thing I'll say, Laura, is when you're a financial institution like Silvergate, a sleepy, this is where we all agree, right? A sleepy bank with 40 million in, in deposits and you grow to 15 billion in a couple of years, you tend to lose control if you're on top of it. If you're not on top of it and your systems aren't up to speed and your largest customer is a criminal in a criminal organization and I can find others like it, which I haven't even come with yet, it's going to be a major problem. Now, now Mark, Wait, your point so- is they've, they've upgraded management and the son-in-law is no longer working in that capacity. So I'm just acknowledging they're remedying Issues around people and controls. That's yeah. It. Okay. But so I, w- I want to um, just have you kind of each play out your scenarios here because we have the letter from Senator Elizabeth Warren and two other senators, John Kennedy and Roger Marshall, to Silvergate 
saying your bank's involvement in the transfer of FTX customer funds to Alameda reveals what appears to be an egregious failure of your bank's responsibility to monitor for and report suspicious financial activity carried out by its clients. You know, I don't know where that query could go, but, you know, I was wondering, Mark, like, you know, what do you think are the regulatory actions that might be on the horizon and how would that affect the bank? Because, you know, I mean, I'm not some expert on traditional, uh, the traditional uh, financial world, but I've seen so many banks get like big fines and then they just keep operating. So, uh, you know, are you saying that you think Silvergate will go under or will it have to pivot out of crypto the way it looks like Signature might be doing? Or what's your vision of where you think things will end up? Well, they, they, they have to answer Senator Warren's questions by, I think, December 19th. So that's going to be very interesting what they come up with. I think their business their business right now is an absolute freefall, and they still have other customers who who are under significant stress who may go bankrupt or or fail. And and I'm not a crypto guy. I've never been a crypto guy. I've always said I'm not a crypto guy. And we've yet to see the bottom of any of this stuff. So who knows where their business is going to bottom out? But as it stands right now, they're not making any money. They're probably losing money giving what their funding has done and their new cost of funding. So they have to answer Warren. I think other regulators are going to start kicking things around. And I think things are going to end very, very badly because as more truth comes out to what went on, these guys, you know, Ron's a good guy. He's a solid guy and he's admitting they had to make changes and did make changes. But when you make changes at, at the senior levels, like had a risk, that's a sign that there was a major problem. That's sort of an admission that there was an issue. Now, so much money went through their network and their wires. This is a company that, that is only capped at $700 million. This is not a too big to fail bank. This bank could go under, which I think it will. I think the bank will fail or will get seized. And when it happens, this is, again, this is not JP Morgan or Bank of America or City or Wells, which is too big to fail. The, then the rules of the road will change and it won't be able to, won't be so simple to move a trillion dollars 24 7, 365. It'll be regulated on who can move the money through that network. And it's going to be a, trust, but verify. And I think the trust was there, but the verify was never there. They never realized that all this money moving from Alameda through FTX, through Sen, through other guys was was untoward. The last bit was, you know, we mentioned this class action lawsuit, which Rom said he felt the plaintiffs had no standing. Do you think there's merit in it? And if so, where do you think that this, might go? That, that, that's not the class action lawsuit that's going to get them. The lawsuits that's going to get them is they're going to be named in everyone who lost a dime at FTX. They're going to be a defendant in that. Whether they can get themselves thrown out of that, we'll see. But if they were negligent in any of those those tests that Rom talked about, rightly talked about, the, the bank will close because negligence negligence is not okay. You know, being in on it is not okay, but being negligent is not okay. And there, and there are former employees who've reached out to me through my DMs and other means where the, the picture they paint is so bad 
is so bad, it's downright scary. And I forwarded those, those things off to the regulators who I'm in, who I'm in close contact with. And, and I just give them right, everything. So, I, so Laura, I, I got to respond to the Warren question and then whether regulators will allow this bank to fail or not and the negligence point. So Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you how you think things will play out. Let me go, let me go through that. So first off, that Warren letter simply restates the allegations from an anonymous tweet thread. And it doesn't actually add any new information. It says Silvergate appears to be at the center of improper transfers. Well, of course, or leading crypto bank. They said it could constitute violations of law. This is just restating known law and, and known facts. Uh, I will also say Elizabeth Warren on that day published three other letters. She's written more letters this month than there are business days in December. She wrote a letter <laughs> against Wells Fargo last month. I also He's prolific. I spoke to a short seller who said they had quote, a hand in writing the letter. So this looks to me like an organized bear raid. And what Elizabeth Warren's letter did is it added the veneer of legitimacy by wrapping her good name around this anonymous tweet thread that has these highlighted documents and uh, drawings that are looking nefarious. So there's, again, there's no evidence, there are allegations. Now, uh, let me talk to bank failing. Regulators view it as a failure on that part if a bank fails on their watch. Why is that? Because the regulators need to preserve the public's perception of the safety and soundness of the banking system. They will go through great lengths to take steps to avoid a bank failure, including uh, a letter that sent in advance, corrective actions, memorandums, understanding, consent orders. And if they truly feel that there's a, a risk, uh, then they'll invite other banks to auction off assets and liabilities and Silvergate's assets exceed the liabilities, even if you take in Mark's worst case write down. So the depositors are not at risk here. And the regulators, again, we agree, it seems like as of 930, Silvergate was in good standing. You don't go from good standing to we're going to take your bank out in, in a few months. There's a remediation process. There's a cure process. Lastly, on negligence. So we're talking about the severity of negligence and whether there is negligence or not. I have not seen evidence of that. Mark is alleging he's seen evidence of that. Look, uh, there are other trust banks in the crypto ecosystem that have received consent orders. Okay, uh, Anchorage received a consent order. And, and, and just consent to find order, consent order? So a consent order is a corrective action from the regulator, which must be obeyed by the bank on pain of further penalties which could include management expulsion and loss of the charter. They're serious. And so in the other consent order, what was required is that customers are re-KYC'd, they hire a new BSA AML leader, and their curtailments on growth. That was the consequence of uh, some deficiency in the BSA AML program. And under the Administrative Procedures Act law, the regulators are required to treat like circumstances in like manners. So supposing there's a deficiency in BSAML, which I haven't seen evidence, then what we should expect is something like a consent order with a similar treatment and consequence for Silvergate. Okay. So you guys have both laid out great arguments. Like, you know, I'm not in a position uh, to pass judgment, but I, I sort of feel like, you know, both of you have strong arguments. But I'm very curious for both of you, what new information would you have to learn to change your position on Silvergate? 
And it, yeah, like what if you found out well, something, what would make you change your mind? Martin's gonna stay committed to this position. Like, you want to go ahead? No, Mark? he may not. He he looks like he's thinking. And and by the way, Ram, I meant to ask you because Mark disclosed earlier that he's short Silvergate. Are you do you have a are you I, inv- I put a good, good question? I did put a long position on last week. We don't have a view at Lumity yet, although we have a crack keep of analysts working this. My wife will agree with Mark that my head's probably on backwards, although she says that every other day of the week. So (laughs) okay, well, people, it's good for people to know you both have a vested interest in your arguments. Yeah, I mean, I'm not short of opinions. I mean, I would I would have shorted FTX if I could have, but you know, I couldn't have. So I still spoke out to try to help people out. And I think I've helped a lot of people out. So that's good. I don't know. For me to change my mind on Silvergate, I'd need time. I'd need time to see things play out to see they aren't as nefarious as I think, need to see more evidence. But the problem is, is people are talking. And there was an FT article out and and former employees talked to the FT person and they're talking to me and and the procedures and how they go about doing business. And, and, you know, there were limits to what people could move on the SEND network. But when things got volatile, they could go and complain they need to move more and they weren't supposed to. And they up people's limits. I mean, the bank is just completely and utterly out of control. Whether or not it rises to the level of the government seizing it, we'll see. But at a minimum, I mean, and I think I'm curious on Rom's sake, these guys aren't going to earn any money. So so they're going to start losing money probably in a big way shortly. And from an earnings standpoint, the stock's way overvalued. From an equity standpoint, the book value is not 35. It's somewhere close to 20, and that's not going to matter. And I think they have huge problems. I think Alan Lane is as good as gone on leave. I think they're going to have to have an internal investigation. And a lot of times with these things, what you need is time. And I'm in, I'm in no hurry to cover, none whatsoever. I did more last week. I shorted more because I think this thing is is very, very sick. So if we pick this up three months from now, I think there'll be more information. And I'll either say I feel better about my position or I feel worse and I'm gone. And, you know, I'm an active tweeter. I tweet about this thing all the time. And 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 something else, Ram, that that should bother you greatly is whenever companies in my history blame short sellers or social media for their problems, it's a very, very, very negative sign. A very, I, very I, bad. I, I generally agree with that statement, by yeah, the way. Yeah, and, and, and the fact that they put it in an 8K in an SEC document means they're going to have to be held to that. And, and, and that, it's just the optics here are very, very so, bad. Ram, uh, you know, I want you to answer what, what, what information would make you change your mind. Yeah, sure. Evidence. Evidence would change my mind. Hard data. And I'm looking forward to a few catalysts. I'm looking forward to intra-company reporting, intra-quarter reporting. I'm looking to quarter-end financials. I'm looking for additional AK. Um, I see the short interest is at 40% now. The stock hasn't moved down from the shift from short interest going from 20% to 40%. So uh, every short has to cover at some point its future demand uh, on that side of things. So that, that's what I would look for. I agree with Mark that short-term earnings will be challenged for their funding higher. That's not the main driver of valuation. Banks in general are valued at a price-to-book ratio that oscillates around one. It's higher if you grow more quickly. It's lower if you have a lower business. The price-to-book ratio is around 0.5. 
uh, even if you accept Mark's argument around the right down, which I haven't seen evidence for, uh, on that basis, you could say Silvergate is still fairly valued and, and growing at an above average industry growth rate. If that write down isn't there, Mark, please send that to me. I would love to just study it clinically independently. Mark, I'll, I'll, I'll DM me your email. I'll send it to you. But um, they're cool. they're they're not they're not growing, Rom. They're they're going to be declining huge in in twenty three. Huge. Well, the, the, numbers what, are, the numbers what, are coming way down. Right. Well, one last point on the um, and you're right. The crypto sector is going to grow slower, so I'm not surprised to see lower growth. I just think that they have a competitive advantage because the regulators are not going to allow other banks to get in their business. So there are not many ports of call for crypto firm with your depositors. We saw FalconX leave the program and then come back to the program within a week. Silvergate uses APIs to enable exchanges to move money and they have hooks into these businesses. So I think it's sticky. I don't think Coinbase or other leading exchanges are going to move away from them. They're long Silvergate. doesn't mean they have to be long the stock. They're long the business model. They, Silvergate's indispensable to the function of the crypto exchanges, which appears to be, I think we're in, we're in agreement around that. Just but lastly, on the short point, look, shorts play a valuable role in coin up fraud, like Muddy Waters in China and Carisdale. And shorts over the last, I guess, 10 years or so, and, and Mark, you know this better than me, you know, you're, you're a legend, have evolved from identifying malfeasance to really doing more event-driven short selling, meaning there's like a campaign. There's a class action. Here's a tweet. There's an aggressive marketing. And that's what I see here. I see a tweet with no evidence, number one. I see Warren, Senator Warren, wrapping her esteemed reputation around this tweet. I see two class action lawsuits that don't have a plaintiff, a standing, or a basis. And I see remedial action from Silvergate. They're taking efforts. They issued a CD. That's what they're supposed to do. They're improving and upgrading the board and management. And they are issuing disclosures intra-quarter where they can in a manner that you know has to comply with law. Again, they can't talk about suspicious activity that itself could, could violate the law. If price to book for Silvergate goes back to one uh, or 1.2 in a two to three year time frame, which is my outlook, then you've got like a 2x here. But I agree, look, the, the next year, you know, we got away from more data. And I, I go back to your point around JP Morgan, Mark. So again, in January 17th of 2014, when they got a $1.7 billion fine for the Madoff, uh, enabling that wire transfer, which again, is not a relevant case here. Their stock essentially went flat for the next nine months. It wrapped up the year up 10%. If you had bought JP Morgan on January 14th, held it to today, that's eight years later, you'd be up 290%. That's a 3x return. That's a venture capital outcome. I'm not saying that's not really going to happen here. All, All I'm saying is dislocations create opportunity to study, focus, dial in, analyze, assess the assets and the liabilities of solvency, liquidity, capital requirement, competitive advantage, and develop a point of view. And I, I, I enjoy the back and forth here, Mark, uh, around this. Yeah, it's all's, all's, all's good. I'll just say Alan Lane is not Jamie Dimon. Alan Lane is a fucking clown. Silvergate's so a sub one. You, you hold it to an impossible standard. Silvergate's so a sub $1 billion community bank. But, but I'm just saying if Silvergate disappears tomorrow, no one will miss them. No one. No one okay. will miss. All right. Well, this is, I think, a great place to end it. There's, you know, just a lot of good points on both sides. I mean, super fascinating discussion. And I think it's one that um, a lot of 
at least crypto business owners will be interested in because I think a lot of them probably bank with SilverGate and um, a lot of, you know, exchange customers uh, will be affected if anything happens to them. So we're going to have to see what happens. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of eyes on what they say December 19th, et cetera. But um, I just loved having both of your insights. So before we wrap, why don't each of you tell people where they can learn more about you and your work? Well, first of all, I thought, I think Rom's a good guy. I can we can agree to disagree, but I enjoyed this thoroughly, and I want to thank you for having me, Laura. I'm just I'm essentially I'm a Twitter guy. I'm at Alder Lane Eggs. I'm prolific on Twitter, and that's where you can follow me or find out how I'm thinking. And I'm not afraid of much, so I just kind of speak from the speak from the mind and the heart. And I appreciate having me. And it was nice getting to know you, Rom. Likewise, Mark. And again, thank you for the kind words. I, I, I think you have, again, you're, you're credible and I appreciate the back and forth. We agree to disagree on, on this point here. First yeah. off, anything I've said here is not financial advice. It's not officially limited position. You should talk to your advisor. And by the way, if you do want to get long the stock, there are better opportunities such as selling an in the money put because the implied volatility is so high that you can reduce your cost basis or perhaps going long the preferred stock, which is seeing the capital structure, you get a 12 to 13% yield. Uh, so there are different opportunities. Feel free to reach out to Lumida at lumida.co. You can find me at Twitter at Ram Alawalia. Just briefly, closing argument, Sen is critical market infrastructure. Coinbase, the other exchanges need them. They have benefit from a network effect. They have a dominant leading position in the sector. They're not easy to replace. They have integrations through APIs. They're one of the only games in town. Switching costs are very high. Mark's main point is that there are these liabilities that are unknown around enforcement and clash actions. We disagree on the probability and severity of those actions, as well as this kind of balance sheet impact, which I will study more closely and we'll follow up with Mark around that. So they have ample capital. They've got ample liquidity. They're improving board. They're improving management. They're funding through CDs. I think the bull case is that creates a near-term dislocation opportunity Silvergate's traded down in lockstep with Coinbase, fundamentally different business models. Coinbase is pro-cyclical. They make money on transaction fees. Silvergate has recurring revenue, $8 to $9 million in fee income, plus they're generating net interest income with zero credit losses on the crypto book. Um, and okay. they have U.S. credit risk from the, from the U.S. government. So I'll wrap up there. Yeah, I I think, I mean, we, we've, we've gone through just so many arguments on both sides. I mean, they're both of you just make such good points. So, you know, I think we're going to have to see how things play out uh, from here on out. But, you know, I'm glad the audience now kind of understands the issues. And I have a feeling, you know, many listeners were not aware just how crucial Silvergate was to the crypto industry. So, you know, it's important to to see what happens there. Um, but thank you both again. It has been such a pleasure having you both on Unchained. Thank you both. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Silvergate, Mark, and Rom, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, Matt Pilchard, Juan Ravanovich, Sam Sriram, Pamela Jimdar, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. <laughs>